Okay, how many of you have attendance policies? Of course you do. Maybe they're not always written down, but you have a really good idea of, of why you want people to show up for work and why it's important for them to be there on time. My name's Pandy, and you're listening to The Human Resource. And I thought this was a really good topic. So let's, let's kind of cut this down because it, it's interesting. When I'm going through and auditing somebody's handbook, attendance is, is, is one of the things that I like to look at because how many of you like to hold people accountable, right, to attendance? You get upset if they don't show up on time. And yet when I look at their policies, I literally just shake my head and say, wait a minute, I know you know what you mean, but how are we conveying this to the employee? Because what you have written down isn't what they, it's not what they're doing or it's exactly what they're doing and not what you want. So here we go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, gonna break some of this down and I want you to go back to your attendance policies and I want you to see if anything's missing. And remember, the attorneys that I work with and, and I, we, we, we try really hard. We like things short and simple, but if you're gonna put something in writing, make sure that it's something you can live with. It's something that everyone can embrace and agree upon, and I'm talking about your team leads, your managers, your directors, whoever's gonna be enforcing this, and that everybody's willing to speak the same language. Everybody understands that this is the policy and this is how it has to be applied. So let's go right at the very beginning. With an attendance policy, if someone needs to communicate an absence or communicate that they're gonna be a little tardy, does your policy specifically say how you want that communication to be? Now it used to be that it was always well, like a phone call. I wanna hear the person's voice. But as things have evolved over the past 10, 15 years, I'm seeing more individuals accept emails, text, Phone calls are always going to be good, but do you still need them to be there in person? You know, to, to literally um, a, a, a phone call them in person, or will you take a close relative to say, or, or the wife or the, the mother of the individual calling in? You can be specific. You can be very specific. I will only take a text message. I will only take it. And let me go even further. I will only take it as an excused absence if I get it two hours before the shift. When do you want to be notified that someone's going to be absent or tardy? If they get a flat tire on the way to work, don't you want to know right away versus after they're finished and say, hey, I just changed the flat tire. I know I'm half hour late, but I'm headed in now. I mean, if you, if you can live with that, great, but you have the right as employer to set some standards, to set some guidelines. So how do you want to be communicated to? And, and what's your timing? When? When do you want to hear this? I also get a real kick out of policies that say, well, if we see excessive absences, this will lead up to and including termination. If you demonstrate excessive tardiness, this will lead to, and I, I always punch back and say, 
wow, okay, you're going to hold them accountable, but define excessive for me. What does that mean? Because I, I doubt if you're going to match the definition of your employee. So sit down with your team. What is excessive? Is one in a month excessive? Is three in three months excessive? I've heard companies say, look, if, if they're absent one or more days in their introductory period, I don't want them. That, that's too much. If you can't be here for the 90 days of introductory period when training's at, you know, we're really sensitive to training. We need you to pay attention. We need you to be bought in. You need to really want to work here. Um, they're gone. Well, if that's the case, then do you have that in your policy? Did you explain that to your new hire? Same thing with tardiness. What's tardy? Is it five minutes late, 15 minutes late, four hours late? They have a right to know. And I have some companies that go, well, you know, if you define that, then they'll do everything possible to just kind of butt up against it so that they're not violating it. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're pushing the envelope. Well, okay, if that's the case, then maybe you should think about you know, narrowing that down. If, if, you're, if you're five minutes late to your workstation, you're tardy. If you're five minutes late clocking in, you're tardy. Don't give them any wiggle room. But if you're gonna use a term like tardy or absent, define it. It's the same thing as defining excused and unexcused. What is an excused absence? Is it when you're sick and you've got a doctor's form? Or is it when you've told me the day before that you're gonna be absent? What's unexcused? Something I don't wanna hear as the employer or something I don't like as the employer? Come on guys, you gotta think this through. Remember, if you're going to lead this up to and include termination, you've gotta be able to explain it, not only to yourself and to possibly an attorney, but you kind of make sure that you've previously explained it to the employee. So this is all very valid and unfortunately slipping between the cracks. So define what tardiness is, define excessive or what um, would be in violation of your policy in terms of tardiness or absenteeism. And, and here's the other thing, too. You don't want to go too long. You don't want to say, well, if you have three absences in six months, okay, that's, do you know how many, how many things in life can happen in six months? So keep, keep your time frame less than 90 days. And I'm not talking about the initial introductory period. I'm talking about somebody who's been there at the company for four years. Keep those pockets if they've been absent so many days within a three-month period. That's reasonable. And remember, the courts will look at you and say, is the reasonable person find that to be obtainable? If, if we asked the general population, and remember, the internet has now said the general population is just about anyone anywhere, what would they consider to be reasonable? You also need to consider the company or the organization that you have. If you have a flexible position, and individuals can kind of come and go and come and go, and as long as the work's getting done, you're not gonna to be too concerned about when and where they are. 
your policy is going to look entirely different than the fast food restaurant or the doctor's office where we have to have boots on the ground and we have to have people there to attend to our clients, our customers, our workflow. If you've got a call center, you can't have that chair, you know, have that phone ringing for 15 minutes in the morning until somebody finally strolls in versus the person who's a graphic designer and she can start at 10 or 11 o'clock even though the customers are calling at eight to the customer service line. Her work, eh, as long as she gets it done, it doesn't matter. So think that through based on your culture, based on what you're asking them to do. I also want you to think hard about, are we going to consistently ask for an excuse? I went to one client and I was going through their personnel files on an audit and I started finding all these doctor's notes where the employee had been taking their kids to doctors. And you know how they gave the school release forms for the students? The employee was having to bring those in to the employer. I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I'm saying it's babysitting. But if you're going to do that for one employee, you better make sure you're doing that for everybody in a similarly situated position. And I'm talking about has the same responsibilities and the same need to be at their station or at their place of employment. Quite frankly, in my opinion, if you're going to do it for one, you need to do it for the entire company. But is that truly what you need to do? And do you want that culture? How about bereavement forms? I've got a manufacturing firm that still collects bereavement forms. Now, to his point, this prevents somebody from having four dead mothers or six deceased aunts and uncles. However, you've got to make sure, again, that you're making it clear that this is what we're going to do. I would add it to your policy so that there are no surprises and that everyone knows they're going to be treated the same. And then remember during the pandemic, we asked for school closings. We asked for the closings of daycares to be documented so that we understood that mothers had to stay home or parents needed to be attending their children and needed to work for a remotely. Again, think this through based on your culture, based on your company. Is that necessary? The last thing I want you to think about in terms of pulling your policy together is sometimes I will run across the word emergency. This is uh, an unexcused absent unless it's considered an emergency. If someone's house burns down, are you really going to hold them to an absenteeism or an, an attendance policy? If someone is in a car accident, are you really going to hold them to an attendance policy, be careful. Just be very careful with emergencies. Sometimes when children have problems at school and a mom has gets a call in the middle of the day that her child's very sick, in my mind, that's an emergency. She didn't time that. She didn't, didn't expect the child to be sick. But she needs to go, and she needs, or maybe she needs to come in late until she finds somebody to watch the sick child so that she can go to work. I like to see policies defined, but I also love to see that employers and 
business owners can exercise discretion and take situations based on the facts of that particular incident or situation. Again, this is not a, a policy that you're going to use every day, but in some of your situations, you will be using it every day. So go through and make sure that if you do have to make changes, you're making changes that the entire team can live with, and the entire team can speak to. Think about paid time. Are you going to require paid time prior to unpaid time? So if somebody's absent, do they have to use a PTO day? That should be in writing. And absences around holidays and vacations. If someone has, knows that the 4th of July is coming up and it's on a Tuesday and they decide they want to take Monday off but they call in sick, are you still going to pay for the holiday? Even if they have a paid day so they get PTO and then the holiday? You can put in there that they have to work the scheduled day before and after a holiday before they get the holiday paid. I do that all the time. I add that to a, a policy all the time. And then what about the flexibility? Remember, if you're going to, if you, your company allows you the ability to offer flexibility, hey, I know you're going to be, you've got, you've got to take your kid to the doctor, so you're not going to be here all day tomorrow. Um, but you know what? You can make up your hours later in the week. If you have that ability, it goes such a long way to your employees' morale and to the overall culture of your company if you can offer that. I know I've given you a lot to think about. I know I have. And I haven't even talked about how it's recorded in payroll. Because remember, absences, whether they're related to the Americans Disability Act or whether they're related to FMLA, or maybe they're just a paid day that that particular state is you know, a, a permitting or allowing an employee to have. You need to record it correctly. And that can be a part of the attendance policy as well, is that employees need to record their time accurately based on the event. I love topics like this because there's so much there and I want it to help you. Come back and listen again, because we're the human resource.